0: People in shackles and chains under constant guard. Just another day in church. (laughs) This story is really weird. I've heard this story so many times, it does not get any less weird. (laughs) If we are paying attention at all, this story should be upsetting. It is foreign, which is fitting. The story is foreign to Jesus and his disciples, too. We get a sense of this right from the start, from that first sentence. Luke says, "Jesus and his disciples arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. The country opposite Galilee were not." In Nazareth, anymore, Toto. Gerasa was a city about 10 miles inland from the Sea of Galilee. Uh, so, this is the countryside of Garasa, the, the place that was kind of in Garasa County. Garasa was part of the Decapolis, a group of 10 cities that were culturally Greco Roman. Greco Roman. From the story, we know that this is not Jewish territory because of that, but also because of the pigs. Pigs, oink, oink. Pigs are forbidden in Jewish law, right? We don't, we don't eat pigs. No bacon. In the same way that a shot of the Eiffel Tower tells you that a story, that a movie is going to take place in Paris, or the Taj Mahal tells you we are in India, the presence of herds of swine in this story says that this is Gentile land, a land where people do not follow God's rules. Isaiah uses this same iconic shot, this same tactic, Swine to symbolize foreigners in the passage for today. He says, I held out my hand to a rebellious people, people who sit inside tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh with a broth of abominable things in their vessels. Abominable things in their vessels. When I was about seven years old, I spent the week with my cousins who, were, uh, who lived in San Luis Obispo. Uh, we went over to their uncle's house, and I was really curious about how they all talked to one another. They used words like tío and abuela, primo and mija. It seemed pretty different from my childhood experience. That day, the adults were eating some special food. There had been a wedding the night before, and to celebrate, the family had made menudo. For those of you who don't know, menudo is a traditional Mexican soup made with cow's stomach or tripe in a broth with a red chili pepper base. It's something that whole families cook together, and it takes a long time to cook. It's generally reserved for special occasions, like weddings. Our baptisms. When I got older, I heard people say that it's a, it's a good cure for hangovers, but I also heard white folks talk about menudo like it was unsanitary at best. I did see a couple of folks flinching when I mentioned it. People said that it was intestines prepared with whatever the animal has eaten and possibly contained feces. It was a long time before I realized how racist, xenophobic, and altogether untrue those statements were. Were By the way, lest you think that Menudo is a foreign thing, or maybe a boy band from Puerto Rico from the 70s, (laughs) we should note that there is an annual Menudo festival in Santa Maria, right here in Santa Barbara County. My point here is that, Food can tell us a lot about culture, our own culture, and the subcultures on our margins, right? And that is what these food references do in both Luke and Isaiah today. Since Easter, we've been in the Gospel of John It's been a while since we were here in Luke. Now that we're back there, we need to kind of reorient ourselves, remember where we are, remind ourselves where we are. Here in the middle of Luke 8, Jesus decides that he and his disciples should all go to the other side of the lake, other side of the Sea of Galilee, or as we call it today, the Sea of Tiberias. Once they're on their way, Jesus takes a nap on the boat, right? And as they sail, a storm comes up. The disciples think that they're going to die. And then Jesus calms the storm, and the disciples ask, Who is this that commands the winds and waters? And they obey him. Then they land in this town, and who is their welcome wagon? The demoniac. <laughs> just, just after undergrad, uh, my, my college girlfriend and I spent six weeks backpacking around Brazil. She had found this deal where you, uh, the two of us could go, to five destinations for 300 bucks on a student thing. It was awesome, and so we, you know, bounced around all over Brazil, which is a big country. We visited a friend who was working in hospitals in Rio, uh, and then we flew up to Salvador in Bahia, uh, which is a very different setting. It's pretty far away, very different spot. This is this is uh, also the area of Brazil where uh, the slave. It was like the capital of the slave trade back in the day. Um, as we got up there, uh, the, f- the flight up there was, was horrible. It was really horrible. We, we were seated because got, we got these cheap t- uh, tickets. We were seated separately. And, uh, and so I didn't know what she was going through. But all around me, the flight was so bumpy and so rocky that everybody around me was crying, <laughs> crying out loud. And, then we, and it was the hardest landing I've ever Ever experienced, so we're coming up to this new place, and we had this horrible flight. And we and we we get there, and we get in, and you know, then we gather our stuff and hop on a little like mini bus to get to take us into into the actual town. And when we got there, it started pouring, pouring rain. We arrived in Pelorino, the little uh, the like the main uh, colonial part of the of Bahia. It's pouring rain. We get out into the square just as we get off the bus. We are accosted by this guy who has has like really ratty pants on. He's barefoot and he has no shirt. And he the guy is just like ripped and it, he smells of alcohol. And, and so we, this is this guy shows up and he's 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 there and he's like, come on, I'll take you. I'm going to take you to the the best hostel. I'm going to take you to the to like the, the place and grabs. Uh, grabs my friend by the arm and starts leading us away <laughs> and after, between the flame flight and the pouring rain and this guy accosting us <laughs> my girlfriend at the time just drops her bags and starts bawling in that place just paralyzed could not, could not do anything and this, <laughs> they're, they're, we were just totally at a loss of what to do and then this guy, you know, he was probably just trying to get us to a hostel so he could make a little money off of whatever it was. You know, they get a little money for, for bringing folks in. But we just, I just, we'd had it. And so in English, I just finally just dropped my horrible Portuguese and told this guy, to like, get out. You know, get out of here. And he, and he did. He woke up and he kind of like took it and, and he, he finally um, finally let us go. That's the kind of arrival Jesus and the disciples have they have a bumpy ride when they think they 're going to die, and then they meet this crazy guy. Jesus is not having it. He deals with this problem directly. He casts the demons out, and apparently there are a bunch of demons, so they call themselves legion. I like how Casey pointed out here that that the guy the demons, this group of demons, the bad guys, are named in this parable. But the poor guy who has been possessed and had his body torn up is unnamed. I think it's really similar to what we experience in this political climate. We love our boogeymen. We are glued to the latest idiocy that the politicians utter. But there are countless incredible people doing good work that goes uncelebrated. I'm looking around the room at some of them, many of them. We were back in Indiana this weekend, and I, and I met with a pastor. Um, so Indiana, wh- where we go in Indiana, Evansville, is is a very conservative spot. Um, and uh, I met with this Methodist pastor who who's the pastor at uh, Mary Beth Folks Church. And uh, they have just been through the crisis with uh, how they're going to address uh, LGBT beloved community. And this pastor stood up in this church, which was almost everybody in that room had voted for Trump, and and everybody was confused on this issue, stood up and said that despite whatever happened in their convention, that he would marry same-sex couples. He didn't know what would happen. But the room stood up and gave him a standing ovation. Just not to say his struggle is not over. He still gets, he's, he's still getting uh, threats of being fired both from his, uh, from his powers that be and from his congregation. It's not easy. But there are people out there doing good work and a lot of them are nameless. Back to the demons. I know we love the demons. <laughs> I have to admit, I am no demon expert. I, I don't know anything about demons, and I don't claim to. I wish I had some sort of ancient Near Eastern demoniac code of law that would explain why it is better for the demons to enter a herd of pigs and then die minutes later than for them to return into the so-called abyss. I don't really know how that works, but somehow it's beneficial for them. Maybe they just they get to show it off on the report card, like, killed pigs, check. But whatever it is, uh, I do think this is an important metaphor. An important metaphor. Spirits of chaos and destruction are at work in animals that symbolize lack of relationship with the divine. Got it? That destruction liberates a man who has been tortured by demons to the point that he is naked and rejected. This is one of the most extreme images of marginalization and vulnerability we have in the entire Bible. This man is rejected by his community, and rather than help him, they chain him and shackle him among the dead and employ a guard to keep him there, keep him in that place. When he breaks away, his life is exposed to the elements and to wild beasts, which in a time before guns is very, very dangerous. Did you catch this from the psalm today? All this fear of being being kept up, being killed by wild animals. A person alone in the wild would likely be killed by lions and bears and snakes to say nothing of the scorpions or the storm that has almost killed the disciples not long before. This guy... Is naked, nameless, rejected, and naked. As a reader, this story first comes off as scary. We are often scared by those who are isolated, those who are impoverished around us. We have a fear. Poverty and its victims. Like those who are victims of poverty, this man has been marginalized, he has been rejected, and in comes Jesus, who has no dog in this fight, as they say. He could have responded like Isaiah, who says to the foreign weirdos in this passage. Keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. That is not what Jesus says. He embraces the marginalized more completely than even the man's own people. He heals him, clothes him, talks to him, and liberates him from his estrangement. Liberation theology reminds us that the good news of Jesus Christ is the work of liberation. Good news for the poor, as Jesus' own mom puts it. Liberation theologian James Cone puts it this way. He says, the gospel of Jesus is not a rational concept to be explained in a theory of salvation, but a story about God's solidarity with the oppressed. What is redemptive is the faith that God snatches victory out of defeat, life out of death, hope out of despair. God's solidarity with the oppressed snatches hope out of despair. God is and was and will be on the side of those who are oppressed. God was with the folks at Stonewall 50 years ago. God is with oppressed LGBTQ people across the nation who march in pride and solidarity in the summer heat. God is with the protesters in Hong Kong, just as God was with the protesters in Tiananmen. God is with the oppressed, and we are called to be with the oppressed. It is not safe is not easy. It will get us kicked out of more than a few towns. It may get us crucified. It will absolutely push us to place where we are degraded for loving the unloved and serving the underserved. Dom Elder Camara, Archbishop of Recife, Brazil, who is also a prophet of the liberation theology, says, When I feed the poor, they call me a saint. When when I ask why the poor are hungry, they call me a communist. In the span of a few hours, Jesus liberated and empowered a person who had rejected his neighbors his whole life who had been rejected by his neighbors his whole life. Jesus sent the nameless reject back to his own people to be a sign, a witness, a poster child for change. Wouldn't it have been easier for this guy just to go with Jesus? That's what he wants. He doesn't want to go back. He doesn't want to go back. In the recovery community, we call this pulling a locational. We don't want to... We want to change and get away from all these things that have been so destructive. But Jesus asks him to be a, be a sign for those who are still in bondage. Jesus says to the man, these are your people. They eat your food. They knew you when you were crazy. They might listen and understand something important about you and me and about God. They will see the miracle of you and give thanks to God. The man passes that torch, the torch of liberation, to all of us. Share the miracle of you now. Share who you have been, who you want to be, and who you are. You are a miracle. Bring that miracle where it matters most. Where people will see you. And understand. Amen.